that song we just sang, It Is Well With My Soul. Thanks, Julian. Uh, is one that many of us know well, and we love this song. We have uh, adopted it into our church repertoire in, in for centuries, about 200 years, uh, because it speaks to something deep inside of us. And it speaks to something deep inside of us because the story behind it is quite incredible. Uh, it's written by Horatio Spafford, and when his son was four years old, he died of scarlet fever. In that same year, there was the great fire in Chicago, and he lost his business in that fire. Because they had had such a difficult year, he said to his wife and his four daughters, let's take a vacation to England. And they got on a boat. He stayed behind to finish some work. And his wife and his daughter's boat sank. His four daughters died. His wife survived. And then so he got on the boat to head to England. And as he was voyaging to England, the captain said to him, brought him into his quarters and said, this is where it happened. To give him some time to pray, to think. And Horatio wrote that song. It is well with my soul in those moments. So in the moments of disparity, of great sorrow, somehow he was able to write this song that's resonated with many of us to say, it is well with my soul. And when I tell you that story, you might have one of two reactions. One is you think, wow, that's horrible what happened to him. It's amazing how he was able to come out of it. The other reaction can be one more of guilt and shame because you don't feel like you could sing it is well with my soul and maybe what's going on in your life isn't even as bad as what he went through. It can be that instead of singing it is well with my soul, you'd rather sing it is horrible, really, really horrible with my soul. And typically that's not going to sell a lot of records if you're writing a song like that for churches. Because we like to have positive outcomes. We like to have a perspective around, hey, this is going to be a happy ending. So we can look at Horatio's story and go, wow, he was able to, as as much grief and as much sorrow he was going to, see the good of God in it anyway. And it's easy for us to go, well, why can't I do that? Or maybe that's what we should all do. And what's wrong with people who can't do that? Well, the truth is that life isn't always good. Life isn't always easy. And it's not always possible sometimes for us to have a happy ending. And so sometimes we can feel like we are just covered in darkness and like it's our only friend and we have no way out of it. And so we could hear other people's story and think, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get out of this? Or we could look at people who are struggling and say, what's wrong with them? Why can't they just suck it up? But if you're in that place, or you know someone in that place, the truth is the history of church songs has songs for you. We're in this series called Summertime Sadness, looking at the lament psalms of the book of Psalms. And these laments are usually expressions that start off with expressing some kind of torment or reality that they're in that conclude in some way of saying, well, it's still well with my soul. But not all of them are like that. Some of them 
end without that positive conclusion. And we're going to explore one of those today. Because it's a lament that's meant for us. In fact, the introduction to the psalm is to instruct us that this is something we can learn from because we do experience this. And so if you are someone who maybe is in a place of deep sorrow, maybe you struggle with depression, and sometimes you wonder, what is wrong with me? Why can I not get out of this? This psalm is in Scripture for you. Or if you know someone who is there, they're in some form of agony, and you're thinking, what's wrong with this person sometimes? I wish they could just get out of it. Or you're hoping for the best for them. Well, there's place in Scripture for them as well to wrestle, to feel torment, and to explore what it means to follow God in the midst of it. And so we're going to be exploring Psalm 88. And I have to tell you, this is not most people's favorite psalm. It is probably the saddest of the psalms. And so I wanted to bring this in week two so we can get over the really hard stuff of this series. Just kidding. It's, it's tough. Laments are tough. But there's something about laments that we need to learn. We need to be able to express and to embrace the reality of our spectrum of emotions. It's so easy for us to want to go, well, it is well with my soul, even in the midst of trouble, and ignore what's really going on. Well, this psalm writer didn't ignore it. This psalm writer wrote deeply from a place of darkness and sorrow and has something to express to us about it. And like I said, it doesn't end happy. In fact, it ends rather bleak. So we're going to explore that psalm. Before we do that, I want to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, the truth of the words that we're going to read right now. I thank you that you've inspired people throughout history to know you and to write about you, whether those you directly inspired through Scripture or those that you inspired to write songs like Horatio. That these are things that can help us and guide us, but especially with Scripture, they are your words. And since they are your words, help them to have a lasting effect in our lives. Help us to recognize our own feelings, our own emotions, and not let them be our guide, but to acknowledge that they're real, to acknowledge that we do feel it, and to embrace how you've made us in our wholeness, and that you're making us new, and you're fixing the broken that we experience. As we explore this psalm, Lord, I pray that you uh, touch us in our brokenness, that Holy Spirit, you can speak to us in the ways that we need to hear, and that we can find the wholeness that is offered in Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 88 starts like this. One of the things that we sometimes do when we read the Bible is that there's usually like, not always, but there can be like a little introduction line saying a little bit of information. And sometimes we can skip that and jump right to like the scripture part because we think that's most important. Well, this Psalm has a little bit of an introduction to it, and it's a really important introduction. And this is what the introduction says. It says, a song... So first off, it's a song. Let's keep this in mind. This is a song. The Psalms are a collection of poetry and writings and reflections. Some are set to music for the church throughout history to sing. This is a song meant for the church to sing. Keep that in mind as we go through this passage. It's something that embodies 
life in the church that sometimes we ignore. It is a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. You can put that on the screen. A psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, if you read through your Old Testament, you might have come up to these characters, Korah. Korah comes up in the book of Numbers. Korah is not a good guy. He's rebellious. The earth swallows him up and a whole bunch of people. But Korah had some sons, and they weren't swallowed up. And in their lineage, they ended up being a major part of the story of Scripture. This one is for the director of music. So one of the descendants of Korah wrote this for the director of music, according to Mahalath Lehonath, which I got to tell you, no one really knows exactly what that means. They think it's an instrument and some musical stuff, like it's a tune to do it to, but they're not too sure. And he says it's a mascal of Haman, not He-Man. I really wish it was He-Man, but it's Haman, the Ezraite. And this is really important. A mascal in, in the book of Psalms is an instructive song. It's to teach something. This psalm is a song for the church that is meant to teach something. And it is written by Heman. This is the only one we have in the book of Psalms that Heman wrote. But we know about Heman because we know his story. He is the uh, grandson of Samuel. He was part of King David's like inner court. He was actually a seer, meaning he was someone who was able to interpret with wisdom spiritual events for the king. So he was someone of great wisdom, someone who was trusted by the king to do good things, and he was an incredible singer. He was like the Taylor Swift of his day. He, people loved Haman. But Haman maybe felt some torment, as we're going to see in this song. This is what we know about him. The other thing we know is he wrote this psalm. And this psalm was probably not just a, I'm just feeling this right now, so I'm going to write out all my bad feelings. The fact that it was a song prepared as a masculine means he took time to write this out. He was deliberate in what he wrote out. There is intention behind it. And so let's jump into it. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night, I cry out to you. Sounds good so far. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near death. I am counted among those who go down to Sheol, I am like one without strength. I am set apart from the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. Haman starts this psalm and reminds God, God, you are the God who saves me. You are the God of my salvation, which is not an untypical statement for a psalmist to write. They recognize who God is, and they say, well, God, God, you are the God who saves. But as he, and he says like that, I cry out to you day and night. So there's this consistency of reaching to God from Haman. But he also says he's overwhelmed with troubles. And that his life draws near to death. 
that he feels disconnected by God. When they use the term Sheol, Sheol is a place of the dead in the Old Testament. So there's a sense of just complete disconnection from God, that he's thrown out of God's presence, and that this is the torment that he feels, and that he's remembered no more. To be remembered is important to us. We might not always realize it, but we want to be remembered. We want people to remember to call us when we haven't been around for a while. We want people to remember little details of our lives, to show that they care, to feel to this expression that he is remembered no more. He's absolutely feeling lost. There's little hope in his words. You've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? Haman's emotions are coming out and they're sorrowful. He starts off with expressing the first few verses that we read, expressing this is what I feel. And then he moves into the you statements towards God, almost accusatory in some ways. And in the midst of those you statements that he makes, he also makes clear that he keeps reaching out to God in the midst of it, that he keeps expressing desire for connection, that in the midst of hopelessness, there's a bit of desire for hope still, that he keeps reaching and there's no answer. Verse 13, but I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayers come before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. You have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. The end. We would love for Haman to say, but God, you're a light in that darkness, and I see you. But he doesn't. We would love to him to have some kind of positive outcome to go, yeah, look, you know, everything's going to be okay. The fact that we know very little about Haman really makes us wonder, well, what, what was going on? There was a deep sorrow, a darkness that embraced Haman. Probably the language we would use today is depression. He was deeply depressed. There's no key event that says, well, this is what caused it. But the real expression from inside is that I'm lost. I feel like you're far. Why don't you answer? For those of us who've experienced depression, we know that feeling. Like there's no answer. Like we wonder when it won't hurt to put our feet on the floor when we get out of bed. Like we wonder why do we even put our feet on the bed 
out of the bed. For those that experience this, these expressions of Haman are very real. And it's easy for us, if we don't experience it, to go, it'll be okay. Don't worry about it. But for some of us, it feels like darkness is our only friend. And we don't know how to find the light in that darkness. For some of us, it feels like God has walked away. And we don't know how to get any closer to God. What I do find hopeful about Haman's words is that he continuously, persistently speaks about how he prays day and night, or how he questions to God, and that he was the God of his youth. There's this continuous desire to find hope, even in the midst of feeling hopelessness. There's this continuous discipline to do it. So Haman, in his wisdom, writes this psalm for the church to sing. Because some of us feel like darkness is our only friend. And when we hear all the songs about being happy all the time, we sometimes feel like we don't have a place. Haman, ultimately God, in his wisdom, wants us to know that even when our emotions overwhelm us, even when it feels like there's nothing good for us, God wants you to be part of his family, and there's place for you. Whatever we feel, whatever we experience, it doesn't have to define who we are, and God still invites us to know him. As I said, there's a hopefulness in Haman that he keeps reaching to God even though he feels like God is not answering. And sometimes that's hard to do because when we don't feel like we're getting answers, it's easy to give up. But Haman doesn't, and I think there's something we can learn from him in that. How do we respond when we feel like darkness is our only friend? Maybe for some of us, we'll never get there, and I love that. That's amazing. But for many of us, we've had these moments, and some of us, these moments have lasted a lifetime. Haman shows us how we live through that. We acknowledge it. We don't ignore it. We pursue God, for sure. I don't want to say too much uh, to people who feel like darkness is their only friend. Uh, sometimes it's very easy to say, well, here are these things you could do to fix what you're feeling. And I'm not a counselor. I'm not a medical professional. Some of us really need to see a medical professional because there's something deep inside of us we need to work through. I do believe that the words that God has given us through Scripture and through other people can be an encouragement and help in those times. And so one I do want to share, and that's from 1 Peter verse chapter 5. Peter says this very simply, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you are someone who feels like darkness is your only friend, like you don't have the words to express more than this psalm express, remember that you can bring those to God. The word that gets used for anxiety is the same word that gets used for cares. Cast all your cares because God cares. Everything you have, you can bring to God. That's what Haman is showing us. You can bring it. doesn't matter how dark it feels. God's ready for you. And God's waiting. What I really want to speak towards, though, is for those of us who know someone like this. Again, I'm not a medical professional, so I'm not giving any medical, professional, psychological advice. But I want to give some insight from Scripture. I want to say, well, 
how do you how do you be a friend to someone who feels like darkness is their only friend? How do you do that? Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone you just sit next to on Sundays, but you've noticed they're not doing well. How do you beat a friend to someone who feels this? And I want to share a few things. One is I think you need to trust them. Someone has trusted to express this to you in some way, and you need to trust them back. You need to trust their experience in it. It's easy for us to go, here's how you're going to fix it. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. It's not so bad. Don't you know this song, It Is Well With My Soul? Like, he lost, like, five kids. You're not so bad. That's not trust. When there's something inside of us that's expressing it in such a way that we feel so burdened, that it feels like darkness is our only friend, and we can reach out to someone, we need to put that same trust back into the someone who reached out to us. We need to believe them. You need to be with them in it not immediately go to fixing the problem. Many of us like to fix the problems. I like to fix problems. It's hard not to sometimes. But trust them. Don't try to fix them. Second thing you need to do is you need to listen. It is very easy for us to talk, but we need to listen to people. If someone wants to share what's going on, just listen to what's going on. Don't try to be like, hey, have you heard this Bible verse? Or did you hear this song? Don't try to answer anything. One of the things that Haman shows us in Psalm 88 is that some questions go unanswered. Sometimes in our sorrow, sometimes in the feeling of darkness, we can't immediately find an answer to the question we're looking for. And that's okay. We can still be in those moments. Listen to people. Make sure you're not trying to overshare Sometimes we want to say, well, this is what I did. And sometimes that can be helpful. It can be good. But sometimes it's not because we're not all the same. We have different realities and experiences. When you're listening, ask. Ask questions. What, what does this feel like right now for you? Ask, what can I do to help you through this right now? Don't assume that you know what's best, but ask someone what they're going through. What they might say is like, you know what, I need some time away, actually. I need some, you know, I want you to ask about how I'm doing, but not all the time. Give me a little bit of space. Ask someone. They know what they're going through. I also want you to encourage people. Encourage them to find a help. As you ask, you also encourage so encourage them to go see a doctor. Encourage them to go see a counselor. But also encourage them through hopefulness that can be found in Scripture. This is where you can share some good words. Encourage them to take their steps to find healing, to pursue God even when it seems like it's impossible to. And the fifth thing I want to say is to pray for them. Be praying for the people who maybe feel like darkness is their only friend. Sometimes it's hard for us to cast our cares onto God, even though he cares for us. So pray for those people. If you have friends, you have loved ones who are struggling, do not stop praying for them. There is a God who deeply loves them even more than you do. You need to petition that God to help them find healing and hope in their pain, in their brokenness, in their sorrow. Trust 
people through their process, through what they feel. Listen to them. Ask them how you can help. Encourage them to find help that, because we can't fix people's problems. And pray for God's guidance and the Holy Spirit to be interacting in someone's life and helping them find hope and healing when the brokenness and the darkness seems overwhelming. I pray you never get to a space like Psalm 88. But I also pray that God reaches to you when you do get there. And for those who are there, that you know there is a God who cares and wants you to cast your worries onto him. Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, uh, says these fantastic lines. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we feel burdened, remind ourselves that Jesus invites us to take on his yoke, and his yoke is light. A yoke is a plowing tool. You'd have two oxen, let's say, or two horses or two animals to plow a field. When Jesus says, take on my yoke, he's saying, I'm there with you. In your darkness, Jesus is with you. It might be hard to feel it. It might be hard to know it. But sometimes we have to fight our feelings with the facts, and Jesus is with you. Cast your cares onto him. Be a friend to someone who experiences this darkness. Help them know the goodness and love that God has for them as best you can. Let's pray. Father, I thank you um, that you inspired Haman so long ago to write a song for some of us in the church that we thought we'd never hear. A song that isn't as happy as we'd like it to be. It isn't as joyful as maybe we hope, but it is still a song to you, a song of worship, a song that shows the truth of our humanness, a song that invites us to embrace all that we are, even when there's darkness, and invites us to step through it and hopefully find you. Holy Spirit, I know that there are some of us who feel this darkness right now. I know they feel it every day, uh, and they wonder, is this all there is? I know there are people in our church with this feeling. I know there are tons of people around the world. And Spirit, we need your hope. We need the hope that can be found in Jesus who offers us a light burden and to carry it with us. Help us to go to you, Jesus. Help us to believe and trust you when you say your burden is light. Many of us need that right now, Lord. And wherever we are, help us to find a light in darkness. Help us to know that we have friends outside of the darkness we feel. And help our friends to be the light we need. For those of us who know people through this, Lord, I pray that you can 
Help our, our eyes to see them well and our ears to hear them well and your words to be spoken through us to offer hope in brokenness. Because ultimately, Jesus, you are the one who heals our brokenness. You did so on the cross. But we still live waiting for it to be fully fulfilled. And there are times where it feels like it's so far away. In those times, remind us. Remind us of your care and your love. Remind us through others. And help us to be persistent in pursuing you, no matter how hard it is. Let's pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.